You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. statesman Cicero said this, quote, the cross, it speaks of that which is so shameful, so horrible, it should never be mentioned in polite society. But God wanted Christ crucified. God chose to crucify him. If we do not embrace the cross of Jesus Christ, even with all its strange contradictions and all its demands, we will be lost. We must embrace the cross. We must embrace the cross. It's crucial that you understand what the cross represents and what Jesus' sacrifice truly means for you. Today, Pastor Dave makes it clear that the cross and Jesus' death means everything. The truth that it represents must be grasped and radiate throughout your life. Your Creator has opened a door to His kingdom. Don't fail to enter. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 2. As he continues his message, show us a sign. You are Destroy this temple, and I'll raise it in three days. Destroy this temple, I'll raise it. You destroy it, I'll raise it. Remember, the Greek word for temple was naos. It meant the holy of holies, a place where God exists, where God rests. He made this incredible declaration, and the Jews were like, huh? You destroy it, I'll raise it up. He didn't do it. A miracle immediately to convince them of something. But he gave them a sign of something to come. That's what a sign is. A sign is of something to come. The sign that he gives is one of his own death and resurrection. And this would be his last sign. If they would not be convinced what they heard, what they saw, they're just going to have to wait. They were just going to have to wait. This great sign proves him to be none other than their Messiah. He fulfilled the prophecies that were foretold by Isaiah that he would be bruised, Isaiah 53, 5. That he would be cut off, Daniel 9, 25. But yet he wouldn't see corruption, Psalm 16, 10. These things were fully fulfilled in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And therefore, truly, he was and he is the Son of God. And he had the authority to clean the temple, his father's house. One commentator says this, and I love this, quote, There is irony in the fact that ultimately the Jews themselves would be the means of bringing about the sign they asked Jesus to produce, which they did not recognize when it came. There is further irony in that to put Jesus to death was to offer the one sacrifice that can truly take away sin, thus doom the temple as a place of offering sacrifice, unquote. The Jews' reaction was priceless. The Jews' reaction was absolutely priceless. Look what they said. In verse 20, then the Jew says, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. Rebuild it in three days? What are you, crazy? It took 46 years to build this thing. Look at the stonework. Look at how massive it was. Josephus records that millions of people worked on that temple, that it was a huge monstrosity of a building, and it took lots of manpower. He says, you destroy it? (laughs) Get out of here. I'm sure they said this in a very mocking turn. 
And why wouldn't they? They were spiritually blind. They were spiritually blind. They completely misunderstood what was being said. Jesus gave them a sign, and it went right over their head. I was going to say 747, but there weren't any 747s back then. I guess it went right over the head like a flying camel. I don't know. It went right over the head. They missed it. They missed it. Instead of interpreting it in a spiritual manner, they interpreted it in a physical manner, in a material manner. We so often do that. We so often look at the things of God and try to squeeze them into a physical or a material thing. God is not material or physical. He is spirit. And we must worship him in what? Spirit and truth. God is spirit. That's what we do. That's how we do it. You can't put God in a box and expect him to act one way or the other. They were blind. Blind. So often we're so blind to the things of God. When it's right in front of our face, we are so blinded. Can't see the forest, the forest, forest for the forest for the tree of the trees. We can't see in front of our own faces when God's right there, and it's right there in His Word. Let's finish out the two scriptures. But He, Jesus, was speaking of the temple of His body. Therefore, when He had risen from the dead, His disciples remembered that He had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. I love this about the Gospel of John. John always adds these little commentaries to help clarify things. And I've told you before, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. And we read it, and John clarifies all these things. John clarifies all these things. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. He was speaking of his own body. He was referring to his death and his resurrection. And indeed, both people, both parties, the Jews and the disciples, remembered this. They remembered this saying. How can I tell you? In Matthew 26, they came against Jesus during his trial and said these very words. He said he was going to destroy the temple. He said he was going to destroy the temple and raise it again in three days. He said that. Some of them came to the cross when Jesus was hanging there. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, some of them came there and said, you said you were going to destroy the temple. Come down off that cross. And they mocked him. But hallelujah, after the resurrection, the disciples remembered also. Wow. And the light went on. Wow. Wait a minute. Jesus said this. Remember? Remember when he said that? Wow. And it says they believed not only the scriptures that were talking about the zeal for his father's house, but they believed Jesus' own words. Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, I'm going to raise it up. He was talking about his body. Yeah, we get it. Yes, we believe. How cool. How cool. You know, as we look back over these verses in chapter 2, we see the disciples growing through a growing process. They're really going through a growing process. Let me show you. In verse 11, the water changed to wine, caused them to believe in him, it says. They believed in Jesus in verse 11. After the cleansing of the temple, the disciples remembered the Scripture. They remembered the Scripture that zeal has eaten, the zeal for our house has eaten me up. They remembered that. And here, in verse 22, not only did they remember, but they believed again. They're putting the two together now. They're starting to put the two together. Jesus said it, and we believe. It's coming together now. And they, and they see that this is starting to make sense. They remembered and believed the scripture of Jesus' words. The body of Christ, the true temple of God. The body of Christ is the true temple of God. Matthew Henry, in his great commentary, says this, quote, 
Though Christ had discovered a great respect for the temple in purging it, yet he will have us know that the holiness of it, which he is so jealous for, was but typical and leads us to the consideration of another temple of which that was but a shadow for the substance is Christ. Those of you who are lucky and fortunate enough to go to the Hebrews class, you've been talking about the tabernacle. You've been looking at the tabernacles. Hebrews talks about the tabernacle. Hebrews talks about the temple. The substance of the temple, the substance of the tabernacle is Christ. And everything in there pointed to Christ. Every single thing in there. If you read Ephesians 9, 19 to 20, it says that the body of Christ is the true temple. And like the temple, Jesus was the place where the glory of God shone. It was the Shekinah glory in Jesus Christ. He was the eternal word. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The temple was a place where God and Israel met, and there God would reveal himself to them. And there they presented themselves and their services to him. There was one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. He is the one between us. You want to meet God? You have to go through Jesus Christ. He is the mediator. He's the one. Just like the temple, a place where we meet God, Jesus Christ. So in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, God speaks to us. And we speak to him. And as worshipers, we look towards Christ and we worship him. And we worship him in his house. This is his house. He is the head of this church. Everything we do and everything we preach is Christ and Christ crucified. Jesus entered to the Jews that day, pointing to the cross and the resurrection. But to no avail. It became a stumbling block. It became a scandal on. Remember when we had that? It became a stumbling block. Turn to 1 Corinthians 1. Turn to 1 Corinthians 1. I'm going to read 22 through 25. Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, his first letter. Needs to do a lot of correction because the church of Corinth is in big trouble. A lot of problems going on. So Paul writes this letter. And in verse 22 of chapter 1, he says, For the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. So even in Paul's day, even after all of this, the Jews still considered a stumbling block to Jesus Christ. And they were still looking for a sign. Show us a sign. They wanted a sign of the miraculous messianic deliverance. They wanted Jesus or whomever the Messiah was to come in and kick butt and take names. They wanted him to come in and wipe out the Roman rule and set up his own kingdom. That was not Jesus' plan at this time. It was not his plan. The Jews saw two messiahs, the kingly messiah and the suffering messiah. But they put the suffering messiah down and rose the kingly messiah up because that's what they wanted. They wanted a kingly messiah, one who would be their king, just like we're studying in Samuel, one that would go out for them and fight their battles, one that would take care of them. That's what they wanted. They weren't looking for the message of the cross. The desire for deliverance wasn't bad. But it was the rejection of God that was bad because by rejecting Jesus Christ, they were rejecting God. When you or anyone else that you know rejects Jesus Christ, they are rejecting God. They're rejecting God. We talked about that on Wednesday too. See, the Jews thought they had God all figured out. 
They thought that God was going to do it this way, and he was going to do it that way, and everything. They had it all planned out. Certainly, this couldn't be the Messiah. He couldn't be the Messiah from Nazareth. Then Nathaniel say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? A Nazarene? Come on. The Messiah? Plus, he's illegitimate. Give me a break. The Greeks, on the other hand, they're looking for wisdom. The Greek culture valued the pursuit of wisdom. They wanted high academic and philosophical terms. They wanted to be the big shots. They wanted to know everything. They did not value the wisdom expressed in the message of the cross. It was foolishness. A man dying on a cross. That was foolish. Their desire for wisdom wasn't bad either. But it was their rejection of God's wisdom that was bad. Instead of giving the Jews and Greeks what they demanded in deliverance and wisdom, God gives them something totally unexpected. He gives them a crucified Messiah. Christ, Messiah, to the Jews meant power, meant splendor, meant triumph. But Christ crucified means weakness, means defeat, means humiliation. Christ crucified was the ultimate oxymoron, according to the Jews. But this was what Paul preached. And this is what we preach here at Calvary Chapel. The centrality of our message is always Jesus Christ and him crucified. The cross has to be the center issue of everything we say. It must be. One commentator said this, quote, If the cross doesn't seem strange to you, then you either don't understand how the cross was seen in Jesus' day, or you don't understand who Jesus is. You don't understand between Christ and crucified, unquote. The great Roman statesman Cicero said this, quote, The cross, it speaks of that which is so shameful, so horrible, it should never be mentioned in polite society. But God wanted Christ crucified. God chose to crucify him. If we do not embrace the cross of Jesus Christ, even with all its strange contradictions and all its demands, we will be lost. We must embrace the cross. We must embrace the cross. Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. Now, there's a story of a strong church. It was this very, very large, big church, and they had these words put on their outside wall. We preach Christ crucified. It was on their archway heading into the churchyard. Over time, two things happened. The church lost its passion for Jesus and his gospel, and the ivy began to grow in the, in the um, archway. Originally, it said strongly, we preach Christ crucified. But as the ivy grew, one could only read, we preach Christ. And the church also started preaching Jesus the great man, Jesus the moral example, instead of Christ crucified. The ivy kept growing, and one could only read, we preach. So the church also had even lost Jesus in the message, preaching religious platitudes and social graces. And finally, finally, one could only read, we and the church also just became another social gathering place. All about we and not about God. We must preach Christ and him crucified. We must preach the cross of Jesus Christ. We must. The Jews regarded Christ crucified as a stumbling block. It's better understood as an offense or a scandal. Remember, it's scandal on. The Greeks regarded Christ crucified as foolishness, but God did not respond to their way of thinking. He kept to his gospel because those who believe in it, both Jews and Greeks, Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul opened the book of Romans and said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for the Jew first and then the Gentiles. 
It's the power of God to salvation. If the cross and its message seem weak, they are not. They are both powerful and they are wise. But our expectations of what God should do keeps us from receiving that power and wisdom. Salvation is not academic. It's not an achievement of human wisdom. It is the embrace of God's dramatic and unexpected act of love on Calvary. That's what salvation is. The Jews wanted a sign. How many of you have asked for a sign? I know some of you have. I have. I have. Why do we ask for signs? Well, I've come up with a couple of reasons. Maybe we want to see God's word confirmed before us in truth. Maybe we want to see something. That, I mean, signs and wonders are throughout the entire Bible. Maybe we want to see those kind of things. Is it wrong to ask for a sign? Well, I'm not really sure if your heart is in the right position. I don't think it's bad. But maybe we don't believe in the signs that have already happened. Jesus says, I'm only going to give you one sign, Jews. One sign and one sign only. He was pointing to the crucifixion. He was pointing to the resurrection. Maybe we need an excuse for unbelief, thinking our problem is just way too big for God to happen. So I'll ask for a sign. I'll ask for a sign. Or maybe we're just thrill seekers. Maybe we're just thrill seekers and we want to get something for ourselves. I don't know. We need to be careful seeking signs. We need to be careful only because Jesus said, be careful, because many will come in the last days in his name, and they'll do great signs and great wonders, and they will lead many astray. We need to be careful. We are a visual society. We are a visual society. I would guess that the majority of you in here probably have this crazy thing in your pocket that's kind of rectangle, and there's all kinds of things that happen on that visually. Some of you are looking at it right now. We are a visual society. My TV went from being a 13-inch to a 28-inch to a 50-inch. We're a visual society. We react visually to things. So when I say, show it to me, Lord, and I'll believe, the Lord just looks at me. Show it to me, Lord, and I'll believe. Nah, believe and I'll show you. Believe and I'll show you. Believe and I'll show you. Is a wonderful, wonderful scripture, which we're coming to very shortly. Closer than you think. In John 3, verse 3, Jesus said to him, he's talking to Nicodemus now, and we're going to study this at great length. Moses, surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And I've told you before, I believe this is twofold. Number one, if you don't, aren't born again, you will not see the kingdom physically. You will not be there. You will not go to heaven if you're not born again. But also, I believe that there's another thing to this, is that if you're not born again, you won't be able to see spiritual things. You won't be able to see the spiritual things of God that God wants to show you and to see. So we must be born again. I love that. And then there's this beautiful passage. There's this beautiful passage that speaks to all of us, that speaks to all of us. Again, in John, you know the passage. Thomas says, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and the side Unless I put my hand in there, I'm not going to believe. Jesus appears, and he goes right over to Thomas and says, Yo, Tom, put your hand right there. Well, put your hand right here. Thomas falls down. My God and my, my Lord and my King. What did he say? I'll read it for you. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Jesus looked at him and said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you are believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. We are more blessed. We are more blessed. By faith we receive. 
By faith we receive. It's interesting to me, and it's the final note, is that the Jews did destroy Jesus' temple. They did destroy his body. And we were along in that group. I can guarantee, if I was there that day, I would have been the one putting my coats down in front of him, calling him Lord, and then when he was on trial, I would have been the one to say, crucify him, crucify him. I'd have been there. They beat him. They scourged him with an inch of his life. Then they nailed him to a tree and let him hang there. And when you die of crucifixion, you basically die of suffocation. Because as you prop yourself up on that little stool that they give you, or that little thing for your feet to hang on, you get weight and weight and weight, and finally you collapse and you suffocate. That's why they broke their legs, so they could fall and suffocate. He died. And he was buried in a tomb. But three days later, just as he said, he raised from the dead. The temple was raised to glory. God's glory. God's glory. And I love what we sang. I love what we sang this morning. Your love have bled for me. Oh, your blood in crimson streams. Your death is hell's defeat. A cross meant to kill is my victory. It is my victory. This gnarly old cross right here means victory to me. It's your victory too if you've accepted Christ as your Savior. There is no other victory in God except through that cross right there. That's where the victory rests. It rests no place else. Don't go looking for it in all the wrong places, folks. It's only in the cross of Jesus Christ. He was nailed to that gnarly cross and hung there. They spat on him. They mocked him. They, they cussed at him as they walked by, all proud and all thinking they're great. And what was he saying? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, Father, forgive them. Man, I'm glad I wasn't there on that cross. Lord, bring that thunder down now. I'd have been right with John and James, man. I'd have been another son of thunder. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, my gosh. And you know what's cool? They thought that they killed him. They thought that they killed him. Because when they checked, he had already been dead. But that's not what Scripture tells us. What did he say? No man takes my life. I lay it down gladly. I lay it down. Who the, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising all shame. He endured the cross for the joy. What is the joy? You. You are the joy. We are the joy. You're his joy. That's why he went to the cross. He went to the cross so you could have fellowship with God the Father through him, by him, and through that cross. God wants you to know that today. He wants you to know that whatever you're doing today, whatever's troubling you, whatever's going wrong, whatever problems you might have, whether it be physical problems, mental problems, or just faithful problems, come to the cross. Deposit your cares, your woes, your, your hurts, and your pain at the foot of the cross. Come to me, all who are heavy laden. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. The cross of Jesus Christ is so important. Jesus says, destroy this temple. I'm going to raise it three days. And he did just that. Amen. You are a sure the Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. 
Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.